Welcome to This Week in Church History. We're grateful you joined us for a wide-ranging conversation about events in the history of the church. Here are our hosts, Dr. Michael McMullen and John Mark Yates. That 10th of March is a day much to be remembered by me, and I have never allowed it to pass unnoticed since the year 1748. For on it, that day the Lord came from on high and delivered me out of deep waters. This reflection by hymnist John Newton was one of the ways that he reflected on his conversion. So this week on This Week in Church History, we're going to talk about hymn writer, former slave owner, uh, and slave shipper (laughs) Uh, with Dr. Matt Swain, who is a professor here at Midwestern Baptist Theological uh, Seminary. And so we're going to talk all things Newton today and try to figure out uh, why we should know him as uh, a believer in Christ and why he's such an encouragement uh, to all of us. Dr. Swain, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So talk to us, who is John Newton and why should we even care uh, about him? Well, that's a long answer, but I'm going to give you a couple of brief ones. One, uh, John Newton is a man who was um, a depraved human being and was saved by grace. And so for those of us who are believers, um, who uh, walk in faith um, under the Lordship of Christ, I think we can all relate to him and his story in some way, shape, or form. So um, even before you go fur- further, you, you said some key words here about uh, a sinner saved by grace that should ring a bell for us relating to John Newton with a famous hymn. That's right. And so my next point was that he is known not only as a a pastor preacher, but he was known as a hymn writer. And he penned probably one of the most famous hymns known universally, and that is Amazing Grace, How Sweet Uh. the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. Um, Probably, I I think it could be arguably... um, uh, the point could be made that it is a hymn that is probably has had the greatest impact on um, all of Christendom for sure, and and then extending beyond that, it is known by people far and wide, uh, believer and unbeliever. So, if you say that you know he starts off his journey as uh, a sinner, I mean, we all could say that about ourselves, right? We start off as as sinners, and it's only by the grace of uh, of God that we're saved. Why does Newton refer to himself as a wretch uh, in need of salvation, probably in a way that most of us would never quite be on the same level of, sure. uh, of sin, perhaps, that, uh, that Newton was engaged in? Sure. Well, to know Newton is to have a life that is full of twists and turns, and it's long, and the, um, and the details of his life um, are, take quite some time to really wade through. But in a nutshell— um, Newton was born into a home where his father was a, a sea captain, a merchant sea captain. Mm-hmm. Um, his mother was um, a strong believing woman. Um, and so, as you can imagine, having a father who was away from home, um, um, he was living with his mother. His mother taught him the tenets of the faith. He learned the shorter catechism. Um, he was also introduced by his mom to the hymns of Isaac Watts um, and was taught the basics of the faith. Um, unfortunately, when he was about six years old, his mother died. So mm. um, he ended up uh, going off to boarding school where his behavior uh, turned south, so to speak. <laughs> um, he began to become more rebellious, and his father, who had remarried at the time, felt that it would be best to pull him out of school and to 
um, to take John Newton onto the ships with him. So by the age of um, 11, John was living on um, merchant sea ships, um, going mm. on expeditions with his father. And as you can imagine, life on a ship is not probably um, the neatest of lives. It, <laughs> um, it's full of uh, hardship. And, um, and I'm sure he was around um, men who, whose characters were less than savory. And so John just began to um, live a life of debauchery and right. rebellion and um, blatant disobedient. Um, you know, John was, uh, did a lot of reading, and he knew, uh, he knew the faith from an early age. Uh, he wouldn't consider, have considered himself a believer. We just read his own personal word in his own personal testimony. Um, but he sought and he read and he actually was influenced and swayed by um, by modern philosophy of the day. And so he actually rejected Christianity in all forms. And that, I think, for him was a way to deal with um, with his blatant, rebellious, sinful nature. He didn't have to be, um, you know, he didn't have to be accountable to a higher authority. He didn't have to be a, a accountable to... Uh, to the Lord uh, for his behavior, and he wrestled with that throughout his life. And so um, he, uh, he found himself uh, living quite a life of rebellion. He left um, his position at one point uh, where he was uh, living on a, um, a, a naval ship where he had been pressed into service. He tried to um, leave his post and was, uh, was captured was flogged, was um, put down in the uh, in, in the bellows of the ship, um, was considered less than. The, mm. Here, the father of a sea captain who was fairly well known now is is demoted. Um, long story short, he finds himself um, he he willingly trades himself out of this circumstance to another ship, which he thought would get him away from his um, from his bad circumstances. Um, it turns out um, that this was a fateful mistake. Unfortunately for him, God was to use it in an incredible way. Um, he ended up on another ship and ended up off the coast of Africa where he was um, put into a position of being a slave himself. Mm. And he was basically held as um, a slave to the slaves of a gentleman who was a slave trader and by the way, that is part of John Newton's history is that not only was his behavior um, reprehensible and he would go back upon his life and, and even testify later. Um, he said, you know, of the, of the sins that I committed, I have basically committed them all. Right. Um, but so he was involved in um, slave trading, uh, which is another facet of his life. But here he finds himself in um, off the coast of Africa on Plantain Island as living as a slave, almost worse than the animals, um, practically naked, being beaten mm -hmm. um, while, um, and, and all of this was happening in his life. And I believe God was allowing all of this in his life to bring him to a place of reckoning um, and a place of repentance. Um, eventually he's saved from that. Um, the man who comes to find him uh, inquires about him and discovers that um, basically feeds Newton a, a lie and says, well, you know, you, first of all, your, your father is inquiring about you, but second of all, um, you know, you have, a, you have a large inheritance that's waiting for you mm. back home. And so he was enticed by that and got on board the ship. And another thing that he was um, interested in was uh, a young love interest that he had had from an early age. And so he felt like if he could get back um, home, then, uh, then all would, would be well. And it is there 
on that return voyage home where he was involved um, in a, a massive storm mm-hmm. and, um, and repented and cried out um, for mercy from the Lord. And he's in his early 20s even at this yeah. point, so he's involved in, in, in quite a lot at a very young age, uh, experiencing all these things. Uh, yet even though he counts his conversion to this, uh, this storm and these things that are going on uh, uh, around the year 48, as he recounts in his testimony, um, it's still quite a few years later before he's actually uh, living for Christ. That's right. That's right. That's interesting. And he 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 said, uh, you know, we can look at his writing, and he 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 recognizes. He says it's not really then at that point that I fully understood, um, you know, the reality of the gospel and the reality of of of, of grace. I'm summarizing, of course, but. Um, and this is evidenced in his life. He, in some ways, um, you know, once he got off that ship, he started going, uh, you know, to church and uh, was mm-hmm. more committed in his ways. He didn't cuss like he had before and was really trying to clean up his his, his act. Um, but uh, he still continued in slave trade. That's right. Uh, for many, many years. Um, and, and, and that, it, you know, it's hard to understand how that, you know how he could have continued on in in that vein, um, but put yourself in his shoes. Um, and by the way, I should say that one of the influential things that um, that Newton found abo- aboard his uh, return home was a um, was a copy of Thomas Kempis's The Imitation of Christ. Right. And uh, so he picked it up and he began to read it at some point throughout the journey and. It's during that time that he began to question, you know, what if these claims are true? What if this is really true? Um, and that's where he, you know, he really began to um, to to seek, I think, and and, and begin to call on the name of the Lord. Um, um, but then, but then again, you know, his life uh, and his faith is that it was one of progression. Um, but if you think about it, uh, he didn't have anyone to disciple him. Right. He didn't have anyone to teach him. So he, you know, he's converted, but. You know, the from the point of conversion, I think we can all say we need people to help us understand the scriptures and help us to grow in our walk in Christ. And I think this is eventually even what he became so passionate about in his ministry once he uh, became a vicar in Olney. So it's uh, in um, in the eighties he writes this uh, about the uh, his book, uh, the thoughts upon the African slave trade. He's he's, mm-hmm. he's shifts gears mm-hmm. away from this slave trading and mm-hmm. into uh, this aspect of uh, how do we get rid of this? It's, it's an abhorrence to God. Uh, he writes, so much light has been thrown upon the subject by many able pens, and so many respectable persons have already engaged to use their utmost influence for the suppression of a traffic which contradicts the feelings of humanity, that it is hoped this stain on our national character will soon be wiped out. So He's trying to bolster the the work of uh, the committee on the abolition of the mm-hmm. of the slave trade and and trying to throw his his weight at that time behind uh, the removal of the slave trade. But that's fascinating to me that from his conversion point, it's really not until the 1780s, early 1780s, that mm-hmm. he really begins to at least publicly reflect that mm-hmm. that he abhors his his prior life in, in the slave trade and is repentant for that and. 
and and now goes beyond to try to be an advocate to eliminate this from British society. That's that's correct. You know, so after he after he is converted, he actually became the captain of slave of a slave trade mm-hmm. ship and participated. Went on numerous uh, journeys, and then uh, beyond that, um, he an epileptic seizure uh, basically made his uh, time on board uh, ships come to a screeching halt, and that was by God's grace. And so he commits himself at this point to become um, a, a pastor, so to speak, mm-hmm. a, a, a vicar in the Church of England. And uh, even during his time, he's moved to only England, where it's a small parish church, a country church. Um, and even during his many, many years there, he never spoke openly about mm. his um, about his activity in slave trade. And you're right, it's not until after he moves to London um, and then becomes more uh, introduced to um, individuals who are working in in Parliament and mm-hmm. trying to make a change. And I think also, you know, there were um, evangelicals in his day who were beginning to make uh, headways. Well, one interesting thing is that he, you know, in 1779 he published only hymns, which is the hymnal right. that contains Amazing Grace. Well, he co-wrote that hymnal with William Cooper. Um, right. who was, uh, 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 he's an, he, he, he could really take up a whole nother podcast right. <laughs> if we uh, were to talk about his hymns. Taking notes hymns. here, we can, uh, <laughs> right. we can do that. <laughs> That's right. Um, interestingly enough, Cooper, who was uh, riddled with lots of um, mental illnesses throughout his entire life, and, and uh, John Newton had great compassion on him and welcomed him into his home in Olney, and they wrote hymns together. Um, it's, it's fascinating that uh, once that once Newton left his position in Olney and moved back to London, that even uh, William Cooper began to write poetry about the um, atrocities of, of slave trade. So even mm-hmm. his, his great partner in evangelical ministry and in uh, writing these deep hymns of great personal expression began to um, express disdain at, um, uh, you know, at this, this activity. Um, also influential was uh, the... Um, a Selena Hastings, the Countess yes. of Huntington, who uh, who who spoke out against this, and so so people in the evangelical world were were speaking against uh, slavery, um, and were beginning to be open about it. And John Newton, I think, I'm sure he was convicted by that. Um, mm. So yeah, by the time he moves to England later in his life, or excuse me, to London later in his life, he of course he begins to to uh, express disdain. So since our episode really kind of targets his uh, his conversion and and this idea of even progressive mm-hmm. sanctification, let's let's look at this through the lens of Amazing Grace yeah. and this hymn. Right. How does he reflect his life experience in a way that maybe some of our listeners, who I'm sure all of them have sung <laughs> Amazing Grace at some point, mm. how can we better even understand how this hymn reflects uh, a, a believer's journey? better than some other hymns. Right. So when uh, when I began to look more closely at the hymn um, and began to look at John Newton's life, it's really impossible to, to separate the hymn from the person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it really is, this is an expression of his own personal testimony. Um, and this is true of, of many of his hymns. Um, he did um, and, and I think also, let me say that um, that his willingness to express his own personal struggles was something that endeared him to people in ministry, um, and especially to the ordinary folk 
um, and ordinary country folk that he served um, on the countryside of England. Um, but yeah, I think if we look at the hymn, we can kind of see this rough outline um, of, uh, of his life. Um, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. So I think, you know, of course, he's recognizing that he had lived a, a life as a wretch. He had lived, mm-hmm. lived a life, um, uh, not only uh, in the world's eyes was he, um, did he live a life of, of rebellion, but especially in light of, of uh, the, the perfect holiness of our, of our Lord and Savior, who did give and extend grace and mercy upon him. Um, you know, he realizes that he's a wretch. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see he was blind in his sin. Um, and, you know, the fact of the matter is, the second stanza says, that "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believe." I think this sentiment of, um, you know, the the reality, the sweetness of God's grace, realizing that you know, yeah. for one more time in his life, he didn't have to try to pull pull himself up by his bootstraps, but he just simply had to accept God's free gift of grace and how sweet that was to him. What a relief, um, you know. Uh, and, and so the third stanza takes us into this idea, through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. An interesting fact about Newton's life is that he nearly lost it multiple times. <laughs> um, in fact, even on that fateful um, that fateful trip home, where he uh, where he was converted, or at least the beginnings of his conversion right. um, were taking place, he came up on board. He woke up and he was in the midst of this violent storm, and he woke up and went up on deck to see what was happening. And the captain ordered him to climb a ladder and and go up. Um, to do something for the ship's safety. And uh, he ended up having to go down to grab a knife or some utensil that he was going to need. And so another crewman walked up, climbed up that rope and was swept out to sea. Wow. Instances like this, I mean, he nearly shot himself at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just time after time, um, there were instances in his life looking back where he could see God's hands of preservation on his life. Wow. Um, and, and so not only was God gracious in preserving him physically, but God was especially gracious in, um, in saving him and, um, and, and redeeming his lost um, heart and his lost soul. Um, it's really a profound um, testimony of grace, and I think we can all relate to it at some point in some way, shape, or form. So, yeah. that's I, I think it's one of the things that, I mean, we can sing Amazing Grace and, and even non-believers, right? It's mm-hmm. it's not uncommon to see uh, some group or someone singing uh, Amazing Grace and, and not having a context for, for what it is uh, and, and how it is a reflection of, uh, uh, of one man's journey mm. that... Uh, has more extremes than probably you and I may ever experience, yet we can still find our story there as well because it's the grace of God that sustains and keeps us. Absolutely. In fact, let, let me let me mention this. So, you know, it's it's fascinating and that, you know, he himself was a slave. Right. <laughs> and yet he continued to be involved in slave trade. Right. Um, it's really hard to, to understand this and fathom it. Um, but it was because of 
the influence of Selena Hastings, who mm-hmm. funded a um, a tour of a Native American from from America um, over into England. And at the time, um, the Englishmen considered the Native American savages. Right. And so this gentleman was touring around and sharing his testimony. And uh, John Newton heard the testimony and, and, and said to himself, you know, we are different people. He has a different cultural background. He has a different, um, he has a different, um, you know, experience, life experience than me. But when he heard the man's testimony, he realized that his testimony was absolutely no different, that this man's mm-hmm. testimony, his conversion, this Native American man's conversion to Christ was absolutely no different than his. And I think that was a huge factor for him, um, you know, even in his understanding of, you know, well, if, if we're all on level ground mm-hmm. you know, before, the, before the Lord. This, this awakening that's happening in the, in the 18th century for evangelicals um, in, in Great Britain, but also in America, mm. to the Imago Dei and mm. what it means to have the image of God yeah. uh, in the life uh, of a person. And it's, it's happening more in Britain first, mm. and then eventually we'll, we'll get to the abolitionist movement in the, in the United States. You've mentioned her a couple of times, and we're going to have to devote uh, an episode to one of my favorite people in the 18th century, which is uh, Selena Hastings. Mm. And uh, this is a, hers is a story of uh, of managing and stewarding incredible wealth mm-hmm. for maximum impact in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. She was brilliant in mm-hmm. what she did, and she funded much of uh, what we know of as the First Great Awakening in America, as well as radical changes that are happening within uh, the abolition of the tra- slave trade. So again, I'll make another note of another episode that That's we need right. to do <laughs> <That's> <laughs> re- right. relating to her. Because she really is one of my favorite people uh, when I teach my uh, church history classes, uh, just because of the amazing mm-hmm. impact that she had when we look back on um, really 18th century evangelicalism mm-hmm. and, and early 19th century. You you can't tell the story without her in the background. Absolutely, just it, it doesn't it just doesn't happen without right. that. That's right. Well, uh, thank you very much for for coming on uh, today, just to even talk a little bit about John Newton. I hope. Listeners, the next time that you sing that song, uh, Amazing Grace, you think of a man who absolutely was radically transformed by Amazing Grace. In fact, I want to close with uh, something that he said uh, was the summation of his testimony. Uh, This is what Newton wrote. He said, it is certain that I am not what I ought to be, but blessed be God, I am not what I once was. God has mercifully brought me up out of the deep, miry clay and set my feet upon the rock, Jesus Christ. He has saved my soul, and now it is my heart's desire to extol and honor his matchless, free, sovereign, and distinguishing grace, because by the grace of God, I am what I am. It is my heart's great joy to ascribe my salvation entirely to the grace of God. And I hope that is all of our testimonies uh, uh, today. And that is what uh, we want to lay claim to just like Newton did. Listener, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of This Week in Church History. We look forward to seeing you next week.